The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. I want to speak today uh, on 53 words to transform our world. 53 words to transform our world. We're starting a new series today looking at this extraordinary prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples and gives to us. And I don't know how you find things at the moment, but there's a lot going on. I think Lenin said that there are decades when nothing happens and then there are weeks when decades happen. And that is what we are facing at the moment. And there are times at the moment I don't know what to pray. And maybe you're looking at what's going on in the geopolitical system or you're looking at what's going on in the nation or what's going on in your workplace or what's going on in your family, what's going on in your friendships, what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your mind. And you sometimes feel, I just don't know what to pray. And if you felt that way, or if you feel that way, I just want to encourage you this morning that Jesus has given us these 53 words to pray. And when you pray them, whether you're in a pit of despair or you're overflowing with joy, whether you're successful and feel like you're smashing life or whether you feel like you're failing and holding on by your fingertips, whether you're full of purpose and conviction and direction or whether you're feeling a bit confused and lost and unsure, you can pray these words enter into the very presence of God. Know he hears what you pray and that his heart is leaning to respond to the words you speak. At the start of the pandemic, the week before the pandemic really kicked off in the UK, I was preaching on prayer. And that morning, as I was washing my hands twice, saying happy birthday and thinking surely there's going to be a better thing to sing as you wash your hands if this pandemic's going to hang around for any time of time I suddenly thought why not the Lord's Prayer and so I realized that actually you could wash your hands for the requisite amount of seconds by saying the Lord's Prayer so for the next uh, year I was praying the Lord's Prayer multiple times a day and in that confusing disturbing chaotic season it became for me an anchor of peace and confidence and hope and joy. For, for a couple of years now, I've really loved praying these 53 words with our daughters as we've put them to bed. It's become a really precious part of my day. Whatever you're facing, whatever's going on, can I encourage you? These are 53 words to transform our world. And what we see in these passages is a number of things. The first thing we see is that when you look at these words, you know you can pray with boldness. Jesus knows more about prayer than any person who has ever lived or ever will live. Jesus was in communion with the Father from before all time. He came, he lived on this earth, and was in constant intercession with his father and also retreated to quiet places to pray to his father particularly. And now we know that Jesus is alive and he ever lives to plead for us. He is praying for you right now. Jesus knows more about prayer than any person ever in the universe. 
And in this passage, I found it extraordinary. He tells his disciples, he tells us how to pray. He gives us words to pray. This comes from the very heart of God. It tells you God's desire for you. It tells you God's desire for your prayers. It tells you how God wants your heart and your life to be shaped. It tells you what God wants for you and for this world. You never need to be in doubt about what to pray because whatever facing, whatever emotional space you're in, you can pray these words. And from the earliest days of the church, it was recognized that these were no ordinary words. That there was a weight to them, a significance to them. Ken Bailey says that in the earliest days of the church, you would actually have two sections within church buildings. You would have the main section, which was for all those who were baptized, all those who had come to faith in Jesus, all those who had placed their trust in Jesus and had resolved to follow Jesus, whatever might happen. That was the main section of the church. But then there was another section of the church where the catechumens, those who were exploring faith, those who were thinking about what it might look like to follow Jesus and exploring what there might be in this whole Christianity thing. You know, those these days we might say who are on Alpha or just exploring faith. You might be here today, you're saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a catechist, I'm exploring faith. You know, and they were in another section of the church. And what would happen is you'd have the worship, the amazing worship we've just had, you'd have all the songs. And then you'd have a talk. And then at the end of the talk, the kind of ushers would come through and they'd say to the catechumens, thanks so much for coming. Uh, we love that you've been here. Could you now leave? And they would be kind of gently ushered out of the church. Thanks so much for coming. Love to see, see you next week. Here's an ice cream. I don't know if they gave them ice creams then, but um, that's part of our liturgy here as a church and very important. And, uh, and they would leave. And then the baptized, those who'd resolved to follow Jesus, would continue with the rest of the service. And almost the very next thing they would do is to pray, our Father, and pray this prayer together. They didn't think it was a small thing. They didn't think it was a complacent thing. They didn't think it was a casual thing to enter into the presence of God himself and say, Father. And so to do that, you had to know him as a father. They would pray, Father. It's an extraordinary thing that Jesus tells us to pray to God as Father. To enter into the presence of God, the Holy God. Name his, God's whose name was almost too holy to be spoken or to be written. To enter into the presence of God and address him directly as Father. In the Old Testament, that occasionally people would speak about God as Father. There'd be metaphors and there'd be similes. God is like a Father. Isaiah came closest to describing God as Father, but no one had ever direct God, directly spoken to God as Father like this. To just say Father to God Most High. Deep intimacy, trust, an understanding of God's identity and a new understanding of our identity before God. That we don't come to him as strangers. We come to him as his children. We have the ability, the privilege, the awesome opportunity to approach God as his much-loved children. And that changes things. I uh, read something about that happened during the American Civil War. And uh, one of the Union soldiers uh, lost two members of his family, and so he asked to be released from the army in order that he go and care for his mother, because he was the last surviving child and the last of her surviving relatives. And he asked, you know, his, his captain refused. He asked 
the general refused going up through the ranks and eventually had no option, there was no option, save for a direct appeal to the president. And that's a pretty slim chance, but he, because he cared so deeply about it, he went to Washington, he went to the White House, uh, he was uh, refused entry, not surprisingly, and he went and sat down on a bench nearby, despondent. And a little boy came up to him and saw how unhappy he looked and remarked, he said, you know, what's the why are you so unhappy? And the soldier explained it to him. And eventually the boy said, come with me, took him by the hand, walked past uh, the entrance to the White House, walked past the guards, walked past the high-ranking officials. The soldier was just amazed. He's like, what's happening? This is almost like a dream. Walked into the West Wing, uh, the offices of the president, walked straight through the West Wing. Again, the soldier thinking, what's going on? went to the door of the over office, didn't even knock, just opened the door, walked straight in, walked up to the desk where Abraham Lincoln was standing there in conversation with the Secretary of State. And as they came to the desk, Lincoln turned around and said, Todd, what can I do for you? And he said, Dad, this soldier needs to speak to you. And the soldier was able to present his request to the President of the United States. He had access through the Son. But what I find amazing about this prayer Jesus gives us is it goes one step further. Jesus doesn't just say, pray to me, and I'm, I'm going to be praying for a long time while you guys get stuff sorted here, so just give me your request and I'll pass them on for you. That's part of what's going on, of course. But he actually goes one step further here. He says, no, you, you address God as Father. You're my brothers and sisters now. And so I want you to address my father as my siblings, as my co-heirs. You can come to him in the same way that I come to him. I, Jesus, come to him. That's extraordinary. Access through the Son, but yes, through Jesus, access as one of God's beloved daughters. Access as one of God's beloved sons. That is absolutely extraordinary. And that changes things. Because that makes sense to the rest of the prayer. This prayer could be viewed, if you didn't understand Jesus' heart, as quite rude. Lots of the words in it are imperatives. Be hallowed. Come. Be done. Be hallowed your name. Come your kingdom. Be done your will. It's almost extraordinary to speak to God with those imperative voice words, like commands, like we're ordering God around. But when you remember you're approaching a father who loves you. You're approaching God who has given you these words to pray. It changes things. It means you can voice with confidence these words because they've been given to you by Jesus who wants you to pray this, who wants you to pray bold, audacious prayers. Children don't beat around the bush. They just don't. I've been so struck this week. Even this week, I won't tell you which, but some of my daughters, just, just the requests that popped out of their minds. You know, random afternoon, can I have a watermelon? I'm like, where do you, a watermelon? Where do you get a watermelon for? I went on a search through the city to try and find a watermelon. It took a while. But of course, I wanted to get her a watermelon because she wanted a watermelon. The next day, another daughter came up to me and said, can I have a dog? I was like, that's a bit more complicated. <laughs> you know, a dog is for life. That's what they say. Can I have a dog in two years? Can I have a dog in three? She's learned how to negotiate quite early. <laughs> Children just ask for what they want. 
Tim Keller said the only person who wakes a king at three o'clock in the morning to ask for a glass of water is their child. And you have that access, and that gives boldness. If you're worried about something, God wants to hear about it. If you're excited about something, God wants to share your joy. He wants your attention. He wants your time. Never in my life have I phoned up my dad and said, Dad, I really need to talk to you about something. I need your help. And he said, sorry, sorry, Steve, I'm a bit busy. Sorry, Steve, I've got too much on. Sorry, Steve, I'm just not that interested in your life. Just don't really care about it. He's always been willing to help. You have a heavenly father, so you can come with bold, audacious prayers. But not just a father, our father in heaven. And that's not just an address. That is the ability and the authority to act. If you're facing a challenge, I don't know if you would want uh, someone who was caring and kind and compassionate, uh, who could you know, tilt their head and listen carefully to all your concerns, let you pour your head out or, hey, to them or your heart out to them. Uh, or if you would want someone who wasn't that interested in the detail but just knew how to take action and had the authority to act. So if you're more of a kind of, I'd prefer to speak to the first kind of person, put your hand up, that's great, okay. If you'd like the second kind of person, put your hand up. If you don't like putting up your hands in church, put your hands up, great. And um, you know, what do you want, a counselor or an activist? Well, with, with God as Father, you never have to choose because you have a Father in heaven. You have intimacy and power. You have access and authority. He's not just gonna tilt his head and say, that must be difficult for you. He's the Father in the heavens. He's above all. He's over all. He's sovereign in all. And I want to say this. I really felt this. I was preparing this. Some of you need to hear it. He's a Father who's not going to abandon his kids. He's not going to abandon his kids. He's not going to turn his face from you. He's not going to ignore your requests and be uninterested. The Father had to forsake his son once in order that he might never have to forsake you. He's waiting, he's interested, and he has authority to act, and that means you can pray boldly. But the second thing we see in this prayer is that you can pray with clarity. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the first request. Your name, be hallowed. First request Jesus gives us, that God's name, the name of the Lord, The Father's name be hallowed, be honoured, be held in the highest possible respect and even awe. That God would be worshipped and feared and honoured for who God is. That's a powerful prayer. That our hearts would see God's beauty and majesty more clearly. That we would see the wonder of the awesome name of the Lord that we would recognize and celebrate and honor God's character. But it's also a prayer that our city, our nation, our world would increasingly realize and honor God's name. It's a prayer for people in our workplaces and our families and our communities and our businesses to actually come to Jesus and recognize the beauty and the majesty and the power and the saving nature of the name of Jesus. That there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. And therefore to hallow his name by placing our 
trust in him. It's a strong tower, the only name by which we can save. Trusting in it for salvation. Been so struck, it's happening so much at the moment. Young woman I spoke to just four weeks ago at church, first time in a church, not just our church, first time in a church. She's visiting from another nation for a year and she told me that while she was here, she wanted to explore Christianity. Four weeks ago, she had a little chat, introduced her to someone. She's very prominent in her field. To my shock, on Tuesday morning, um, we have a prayer meeting at 7 a.m. And I try and get there. I don't always make it. And uh, on this particular Tuesday morning, for my sins, I'd had a, a very late board meeting the night before. I'm just making excuses really now. But, um, but I was late. And so I, 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 I was coming down the road at 8, which if you have a 7 a.m. prayer meeting, is slightly too late to go to the prayer meeting. So I thought, I'll just go straight into work at 8. And, uh, and as I was coming down the road, I saw this woman coming the other way. I said, oh, hi, how's it going? She said, really well. I said, what are, what are you up to? What are, she said, I've just been praying. I was like, where? She said, she said, oh, the church has a prayer meeting at 7 a.m. I said, I know it. I know, yes, it does, yes. She said, it's great. You should try it. Yeah, I will try it. I've been a Christian a handful of days. She's turning up to pray to the Lord. That is hallowing the name of God. That's an extraordinary thing. That's the prayer that Jesus tells us to pray here, being answered in our very midst, that someone could be completely outside the faith, completely outside the church, and a few weeks later is waking up at goodness knows when so that she might be here at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday morning because she wants to pray. That's the name of the Lord being hallowed. But it's also hallowing his name by the way we live our lives. I'll never forget when I was working as a lawyer. Uh, one day, uh, a senior lawyer was on my floor and I was just popping out to grab some lunch and unbeknownst to me, a very, very senior lawyer from another firm was visiting because they were doing a case with this lawyer. So I just popped into his room to see if he was grabbing anything for lunch. I popped in and he said, oh, let me introduce you to Stephen. He's our in-house Christian. <laughs> she was so confused. She turned around and she said, sorry? He said, he's like our chaplain. She was like, what? I was like, I'm not. What? And he was like, no, 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 but you are like Christian in the office, aren't you? You are kind of our Christian. You pray and things like that. And so this poor woman was like, hello, nice to meet you. Like it was so, I was so embarrassed. I said, well, I'm actually a lawyer as well. She goes, oh, okay, okay. But like, she said, but do you go to, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I, I have faith. Yeah. She said, oh, right, okay. Oh, right, interesting. I walked away, I was like, what is he on? And then I realized, people are actually watching how I live my life. He's like watching me as a Christian. I'm not just Stephen in his eyes, I'm Stephen who bears the name of Christ. And therefore how I live, how I speak, how I act, reflects on, reveals the name of Christ. And therefore how I live, will either hallow or dishonor the name of the Lord. So when I'm praying for the Lord's name to be honored, I'm also praying that my life might be shaped by his truth. Such a shock to me that I bear his name. And so how I live and act and speak matters. But this prayer also shapes our motives, our desires, our ambitions. Hallowed be your name. 
you'll know that Tim Keller, a remarkable preacher and church leader, very sadly died uh, just a few weeks ago. And he was suffering from advanced cancer and uh, he had recorded a message for the congregations he had planted decades before. And the plan had been to just pray this mes- play this message uh, on the Friday evening at a gathering of the core of that church. And no one had planned it this way, but actually uh, Tim died on the Friday morning and uh, overnight between the Thursday and the Friday. And so this message was played as his final message to his congregations. And the final point of his final message to the people who had pastored for 30 years was this. Don't waste your life trying to make a name for yourself. The whole world is trying to make a name for itself. Your colleagues, your friends, trying to make a name for themselves. We all, if we're honest, at times attempted to make a name for ourselves. But he said, hallow be thy name. Don't spend your life trying to make a name for yourself. Spend your life trying to make Jesus' name great. And as we pray this prayer, it shapes our hearts, our motives, our ambitions. It orientates our hearts away from status and towards impact. Doesn't mean you can't have great ambitions. Great ambitions glorify God. But they're ambitions that Jesus' name might be exalted. Jesus' name might be made known. Jesus' name might be hallowed rather than our name. Jesus prayed, Father, glorify your name. And the Father said, I have and I will. And Jesus told us to pray, hallowed be your name. And he lived it and he died it. When you pray, hallowed be your name, you set in process things you could never imagine. Atheists falling on their face and encountering Jesus. Business people giving their all in the workplace for the kingdom of God. Prison leavers wanting to find a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we pray, hallowed be thy name. Can pray with clarity. Some people say that that phrase shapes everything that comes afterwards in this prayer. Because it's all targeted towards God's name being glorified in our world. Pray with clarity and then pray with courage. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. This is one of the most powerful things you can ever pray. It's a prayer that makes dictators shake with fear and makes presidents nervous. Stop in their tracks. Ken Bailey speaks of when he uh, visited Riga in Latvia uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union. And he was doing some training for a group of 25 to 35-year-olds, some theological training and other things. And in one sense, it was quite a curious group that had gathered because they had all grown up their entire formative days during the communist atheist regime. And so they had been indoctrinated from the very earliest days of their lives that there wasn't any such thing as faith, there was nothing to see there. Weren't even aware of Christianity, weren't aware of God, Jesus, the Bible, all those things were outlawed. And they had been indoctrinated for many years. So in some ways it's puzzling that any of them had encountered God at all. So he asked one woman during one of the breaks, he said, well, tell me, how, how did you come to faith? And this young woman, you know, he said, how has it happened? Was, was, there a, was the church in your village, he asked. 
She said, no, the, the communists closed all of the churches. He said, oh, well, did you have a relative like a grandma who, who taught you the faith secretly? No, all of my extended family are atheists. Oh, well, was there a secret house church or secret underground Bible studies that you went to? No. But then how? She said this. She said, at funerals, we were allowed to recite the Lord's Prayer. As a young child, I heard these strange words and I had no idea who we were talking to. I had no idea what the words meant, where they came from, or why we were reciting them. But when freedom came at last, I had the opportunity for search for their meaning. She said, when you're in total darkness, the tiniest point of light is very, very bright. For me, the Lord's prayer was that point of light. Your kingdom come. You can be growing up in an atheist regime which has outlawed the name of Jesus. No Bibles or churches or anything else. And you can pray those words and see in your lifetime the regime crumble and fall and thousands of church plants spring up in that same nation. Your kingdom come. These words have power. You can be surrounded by injustice as the civil rights leaders were in the 60s in the United States. Impossible to see how the structures of oppression and racism could be inverted. And you can pray these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. And see within your lifetime, legislation come into pass and changes in systems and the beginning of a restoration of a vision in which people might live with honor and equality. Thy kingdom come, your kingdom come. This is about God's kingdom coming on earth. This is invoking God, calling on God to establish his kingdom in this world. This is a prayer, just to be clear, for nothing less than regime change. It's a prayer that the kingdoms of this world would pass away and the kingdom of God would be firmly established. All earthly kingdoms will rise and fall. Rulers will come and go. They'll emerge and disappear. Things that seem so powerful today will be nothing more than a whisper of a memory in just a few decades' time. But there will never be an end to the kingdom of heaven. It's been established and it is growing and it will be manifest one day fully. Jesus' plan, that God's plan, is not to destroy and annihilate this earth. It is to occupy it, every inch of it, with his kingdom, in your workplace, in your family, in your business, in your hospital, in your school, in your university. We pray, your kingdom come, invade this earth with your presence, your rule and reign, your justice, your goodness, and then your will be done. Fulfill all your prayers, all your purposes, everything God wants and wills, that that might become to pass, that might be fulfilled in this world and in my life. Let me ask you this question. If, if the UK was invaded by a hostile atheist regime this week, it's not a prophecy or a word of knowledge, just to make that clear, but if that happened, and stranger things have happened in our world, and from next week, all Christianity was outlawed. 
All Bibles were banished. All churches were closed. All internet and apps were censored. What would sustain your faith? What would sustain the faith of your loved ones? What would you pray? These 53 words are sustaining today believers in nations where the Christian faith is illegal. These 53 words are found on the lips of people today in nations where if you are in possession of a Bible or a bit of a Bible, you and every member of your family is in prison for life. These 53 words have sustained people who have been about to be executed for the Christian faith in amphitheaters and firing squads people who have faced decades of imprisonment. And my plea with you over these coming 21 days, as we look at this together as a church, is that these words would become precious to you, that you would not only memorize them, but they would so become part of your soul and your heart and your mind that whatever happens for the rest of your life, you can turn to them and know that you're in the presence of a Father who loves you, a father who we, we long to see his name hallowed, a father whose kingdom is going to come. I would encourage you to pray these 53 words when you wake up, to pray it at lunch, to pray it when you go to bed, and to really pray each line. Don't just say the words. Speak them to your father who bends his ear to hear your prayer. This prayer is a gift. These 53 words are treasure. Jesus prayed, not my will be done, but yours, and so he fulfilled the father's will. Jesus prayed with the Father from before all time. But the only time in the whole of the scriptures that he addressed the Father, he addressed God and didn't call him Father was on the cross because he was taking your sins, taking the things we've done wrong so that you could always approach God as Father. Jesus hallowed the name of the Father. He glorified the name of the Father. Jesus resisted the temptation that the devil gave him to establish a kingdom without a cross, to take a crown without a cross. And that means you can know that he has authority to rule and reign because he died and he rose and he will come again and his kingdom will never end. He will return in his Father's glory and every word of this prayer will come to pass. And whatever happens, no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how tricky it is, no matter how uncertain you are about next week or next year, you can know when you pray these 53 words, you are right in the heart of God's will and His purposes and His desire for your life, for your family's life, for your workplace, for your city, for this world. And you can anchor yourself there. And storms can be raging around you, but you are anchored in the will and the words of God, in the presence of your Father. So why don't we stand and we're going to pray together. And I just want to encourage you, if you're happy, um, these words are going to come up on the screen. It's just going to take a moment, just quiet your heart. And then in a few moments, we're going to pray these words together. And we're going to pray them like we mean them. We're going to pray them like our life depends on them because one day it might. And we're going to pray them to a father who right now bends his ear to hear our prayer, our prayer with your brothers and sisters in this church, to our father. 
So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sit against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours forever and ever. Amen. Amen.